Today we're uh, looking at continuing in John 1. John, actually, I'm just going to move this for the Zoom people. Just have to move this over a little bit. Great. 1 John chapter 4 this morning is what we're looking at. Oh, sorry. And it's continuing on in our theme this year, Be True in 22. What's it mean to be genuine, real, authentic followers of Jesus? What's it mean? And I think we've learned heaps already about uh, what it means to be genuine, real, authentic followers of Jesus. Uh, but I trust that as we look through John's uh, letter, that we'll get more of a grasp on what it means to be real, to get real, to get real, and to follow Jesus as he wants us to. So this morning, looking at... Um, how are we going? It's just clicked off again for me. Hung up or something. All right. We're looking at 1 John chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles there, then uh, turn to 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 to 6 and we'll read this together. We'll be referring back to this during the message this morning, so have your Bibles open there uh, during the time. 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 to 6 says this. And remember, this is a letter, so even though we look at it in segments over uh, the sermons, it's a continuous letter. So John's written this letter to the churches of the day to address some issues that were happening in the life of the church and in the communities they're involved in, and so he continues on. Um, if you look at John's letter in the big picture, about just through halfway through verse 2, there's a change. So in the first part of John's letter, he's, he's telling us about what it means to have a relationship with with God, with the living God. And the second part of John's letter, he's saying, this is how you live it out. So he's, he's set the foundation in the first part of this letter, and he goes in to be very specific into how you live it out in the second part of the letter. So he continues on. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Let me say that again. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, that is in in the Greek, has come in the flesh is from God. Make a mental note of that. Learn that verse off by heart. Remember it when you're talking to people, when you're listening to people. We'll go into it a bit further this morning. Verse 3. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Does that give you encouragement this morning? Gives me encouragement. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Who can say amen after that? I dwell on that verse regularly when I'm talking with people. Verse 5. They are from the world, that is, those that are antichrist are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So this morning, I want us to get real about truth. I want us to make sure that what we're reading, what we're hearing, what we're watching, what we're listening to, we can discern what is truth and what's falsehood. And in these four short verses in this part of uh, John's letter, he gives us some clear guidelines 
and what to look out for. It, it, it relates to what he's already written in his gospel. The first, uh, first thing that John wrote says in verse eight, th- uh, John chapter eight, verse 32, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And sadly, a lot of the false teachings that are around, a lot of the false prophets, if you were, a lot of the false preachers, they are binding people up. They are saying, you must do this, 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 and this if you want to be saved. And that's not freedom at all. They're not telling us the truth. The truth will set you free. That's the promise from God's word. So we have to uh, remember that we shouldn't accept everything we hear as truth. Just because it's on the news, on TV, is it the truth? No. Just because someone writes a book, uh, and, and it might be a very interesting book, it might be a challenging book, but is it the truth? We don't know unless it's based on God's word. So we need to be careful. And sadly, there are even, even uh, people who call themselves Christians in our world today that take a particular theological stand. And you might have heard of liberal theology, liberal theology. And, and, and I did some research this week as I was preparing this message, and, and they actually deny that Jesus is man-God. They believe that, that God came into Jesus as a man, for his time on the three years on earth, and then left Jesus at the crucifixion. I don't know where they get that from the word of God. But sadly, that teaching's out there. And John writes this letter to address some teaching of the day that was taking people away from the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. God's desire is to confront mankind with truth and to set them free. And that's what that verse says. So we need to know how to discern the truth. We need to know how to check it out. We need to know to be comfortable in saying, yes, this is true because God says it. On the other hand, we're in a battle and, and Satan's chief desire is to twist the truth or to confuse us or to insert error in there. And we have to be careful that we can determine error Against truth. And that's why John says we should test the spirits. How do we do that? Do we give them ten questions to answer and if they get them all right, then we, no. Now there's a way of doing it. We, we can assess them on the basis of what the person is saying about Jesus Christ. And those verses were very clear about that. So I want us to take three steps today to see what it means to, uh, get real about the truth and be able to determine what are false prophets. Or who are false prophets, who are false preachers. I'm not going to name any names this morning. There are, there are people on the internet that I will not listen to because, one, they don't handle the word of God well, and, two, their lives don't live up to what they're preaching. And you'll hear me say that again in this message. So let's let's learn how we can recognize false prophets. And, and in those verses 1 to 3 and verse 5, which we read earlier, John says that there are many false prophets who have gone into the world how true it is today. There are many people out there clamoring after followers to build up their own ego and their own finances rather than to point people to Jesus. And that's what is a false prophet. So what does he say? He says the false prophets are known by what they deny. What they deny. Verses 2 to 3 says there, but dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits. Verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But those who deny that, 
They're the ones to watch out for. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. When John wrote this letter, you you would be familiar now by the term Gnostics. We, we've mentioned that many times over the past weeks, where they elevated the spiritual and played down the physical. So everything you... If you wanted to get right with God, you had to get the spiritual side of right, but you could live physically however you like. You could do whatever you like as long as spiritually you were okay with God. That was their theology. Well, there's another the- theology, or there was another teaching around at the time, and it was called the Serinthian heresy. You don't need to remember that. But it denied the deity of Christ, just like I said earlier. It denied that Jesus was the Son of God, fully man, fully God. It denied the um, uh, the miraculous birth of Christ, this heresy. And uh, it denied, it said that Joseph was his real father and that he was born of Joseph and Mary. It, it, it was a terrible uh, heresy at the time. It said that at his baptism he was overtaken by a divine being, inverted commas, whose name was Christ. So it's a, it's a weird teaching. And this was around at the time. It was said that, uh, that, that, that Christ lived in Jesus, in the human Jesus, until his death on the cross. And at that time, the divine being Christ left Jesus and he died as a human being. That heresy has been resurrected today. I've heard that teaching today. It is wrong. We have to be careful about that. Because the Bible in its entirety talks about the fact that Jesus was God-man, both at the same time. He was born of God. He lived as a man. This testing of the spirits is the, is the principle that we need to grab hold of. What people are saying, compare it against the word of God. Any message that denies the uniqueness of Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, be very cautious. You ever had that check in your spirit or that doubt in your head when you've been listening to somebody? Well, this is one of the things you should have that check in your spirit or doubt about. If somebody's denying that Jesus is Lord and Saviour, totally man, totally God, then you need to question what else they're saying. Is it wrong as well? Because in denying that, in denying that Jesus is the Lord and Saviour, they deny the, the power of the cross. They deny de- deny the, the power of his promises for us who believe. They deny all that by denying that Jesus is both God and man. Now, I've got to admit, it's pretty hard on a physical level to get our heads around the fact that Jesus is both God and man at the same time, isn't it? You know, if we were, if we we're honest. But this is a matter of faith. It's a faith that we're called to based on the truth of God's word, based on our relationship with Jesus. If he wasn't totally man, totally God, he couldn't be our saviour. So what do they say about Jesus, these false teachers? They deny his eternal deity. They deny his unique birth. They deny his sinless life, his perfect life. They deny his infallible teaching. That means there's nothing wrong with it. They deny his necessary sacrifice on the cross, they deny his glorious resurrection, and they deny his certain return. When they say that Jesus is not totally man and totally God, they deny all those things. That teaching is around today. Not just that when John wrote about it uh, a couple of thousand years ago. It's around today, and we have to be careful that it's not creeping in 
to what we're listening to. We have to be careful that it's not creeping into some of the songs that we sing. Uh, we have a, a, a plan here at the church. Any songs that we learn in the service or sing in the service, we've got to make sure that they're theologically accurate. And if there's anything that says this sort of thing that's false, we don't sing. And sadly, there are some songs out there that do that. So we have to recognize false prophets by what they deny, and they deny who Jesus truly is. We have to recognize them by what they declare. And in verse 5, it says that they, I think I've got verse 5, they are from the world. And remember, when we read the world, uh, apart from thinking about the earth, physical earth, we're talking about the world system. They are from the world system and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world system and the world system listens to them. What's the world system? Anybody remember what a, a simple definition of the world system is? Selfishness. The world system is selfishness. It wasn't a trick question. It wasn't a hard one. Selfishness. Okay. And, and so they're, they're preaching, they're speaking from a selfish perspective. Those that are true prophets, true preachers, they'll preach from a selfless perspective. They're not to, they're not preaching to gain fame or create their own little kingdom. They're preaching to, to see people's lives changed by the power of God alone. So we have to be careful about what people declare, what motivates them. What, what are some of the characteristics of a preacher? that's preaching from a worldly viewpoint. I've got, I think, two or three here, two, I think, and it says this. One, oh, they manipulate rather than motivate. What do I mean by that? A false teacher focuses on manipulating followers, on manipulating his hearers. Um, a good example of this relates to how they speak about money. Often, often the false teacher will focus on how he can manipulate people to enrich himself rather than serve the kingdom of God. In fact, uh, Peter warns us about this in, the, in his letter. He says this, In their greed, they'll make up clever lies to get hold of your money. There are, there are so, I'm embarrassed to say that there are some so-called preachers and pastors in this world that are lining their pockets. Uh, and, and, and it would be cruel to say that every Believer is gullible to believe it, but some are. And so we have to be careful because even though a person might be a charismatic, uh, forceful speaker, we need to check out where they're coming from, they're, not only their theology, what, what they're saying, but also what they're doing. That doesn't say that I'll never preach on money, and you've heard me preach on money here before, but it's not from the perspective of lying my own pocket, although I must admit a holiday overseas would be nice. No, but we're not going there. It's it's about seeing the need and God's people under God's direction meeting that need. So money is not evil. But sometimes people will use it for their own uh, purposes rather than God's purposes. So we have to be careful that um, those that are preaching from a worldly viewpoint, we have to realise that they're manipulating rather than motivating and secondly, this is important, they're a closed cover rather than an open book. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I hope that what you see and know of me in public is what you see, what, what would be happening in private. Do you know what I'm saying? 
I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that what you see and know of me and what I see and know of you is a total package, that, that we just don't present a picture in public, that we're real, that we're genuine. That's what this whole series is about. But those that are preaching from a worldly perspective often have two distinct faces. One is the face they present in public and the other is the way they live in private. And sadly, many of those have been exposed over the years. Uh, the writer Jude mentions that. He says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men. Remember it says slipped in among you? They're actually among the church. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. It comes back to that, doesn't it? It comes back to that. What have they done with Jesus? And sadly, some some famous Christians, some famous preachers have been exposed because of the disconnection between their public life and their private life. And that's what Paul, that's what John is writing about here. These these Corinthians, these Gnostics, were not living out publicly. Sorry, we're not living out privately what they were saying publicly. They're godless men. They changed the grace of our God into a, into a sense of a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ. So we do have to test people. We do have to, I don't mean judge people. I mean examine what people are saying, how they're living life, and then, we'll, then choose whether we'll listen to what they're saying. I heard of a, a modern cult group who, who the, mem- the leader was convicted of adultery. He remained in leadership of that cult. He said, my private life is my own business, my public life is dedicated to the Lord. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. But a preacher of the truth cannot should not, must not divorce his public life from his private life. His commitment to Christ is the same in private as it is in public. Someone once said this, real character, genuine character is what you are in the dark when nobody else can see you. Genuine character, real character is what you are in the dark when no one else can see you. And a third thing about uh, false teachers is they choose, they chase people from Jesus rather than drawing people to him. What do I mean by that? Jesus knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. Even, even his teaching, his records in Matthew says this, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So if their attitude towards Jesus isn't right, then they won't be involved in gathering people to into the kingdom of God. They'll be responsible for scattering people away from the kingdom of God. And he, Jesus said, again, in Matthew's gospel, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. They might have all the airs and graces of a nice person, uh, someone that you think you could trust, but they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And we have to be wary. We have to be evaluating uh, these people. So what happens to people that come under this sort of teaching? Sadly, they're, they're, they're either 
move to believe God's word or they move to doubt it. And a majority of people that come under this sort of teaching are moved to doubt it, to live for themselves rather than living for Christ. There are people in our world today that are getting confused by those who are not faithful preachers. I don't want to leave you on a down note today, so I want to excite you about the fact that we can rejoice with faithful preachers. And um, I'm sure you have heard many faithful preachers. Um, I hope I'm one of them, uh, Pastor Jeff too, and others. But there are faithful preachers in, a, in our world today. And if you like, boy, this is putting my head on the chopping block, use Pastor Jeff and I as, in a, as a comparison. Don't use all the bad things that we do. Use all the good things that we do. Uh, use how we preach the scriptures as a guide to how you should assess others. Uh, we don't get it right all the time, but we try really hard. Someone wrote um, wrote this description of the perfect pastor. Are you taking notes? Someone wrote this description of the perfect pastor. I'm sure it's humorous, okay? I'm pretty sure it's humorous. Either that or you should sack me tomorrow. Okay, the perfect pastor preaches exactly for 20 minutes. And then he sits down. He condemns sin, but he never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. in the morning to 10 p.m. at night in every type of work, from preaching to visiting at the prison. He makes $60 a week and gives $30 a week to the church. He um, wears good clothes, buys good books regularly, has a nice family, drives a good car, and and he contributes to every good work that comes along. He is 26 years old and he's been preaching for 30 years. So you can see how real you can see how real this description is, okay? He's tall and short, thin and heavy set and handsome. He has one brown eye and one blue eye. Hair parted in the middle with the left side dark and straight and the right side blonde and curly. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all his time with older folks. He spends all his time with a straight face because his sense of humour keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all his time evangelising the unchurched, and is never out of the office. That's the perfect pastor. (laughs) Boy, if I had got that job description, you wouldn't have seen me here as the pastor. But what does the Bible say? The Bible does say something about faithful preachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, oh, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 it says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Two things will characterise the faithful preacher's teaching. What are those two things? One are that teaching will be consistent with the word of God. So if you ever hear a preacher, whether it's on audio or internet or TV or whatever, check that they're preaching from the Word of God. If they're not preaching from the Word of God, then mark, put a question mark in your head. The word it says that in verse um, two, it says that they will acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, and that word acknowledge means to say the same thing. Now, a true preacher said. Preacher says the same thing that the Bible says. A true preacher doesn't cause his hearers to question the reliability of God's word. 
But a true preacher upholds the reliability of Scripture. Don't know about you, but Jeff and I often chat about uh, how we feel the sermon went on Sunday. And one or either of us would say things like, oh, made a real hash of it, lost track of the flow, uh, skipped over a couple of notes. And yet at the same time, people will come up to us after the service and say, that verse was just for me today. And um, even though we've got to be faithful in our preparation and presentation, God will choose what he wants to do with his scripture in spite of the preacher. Uh, whether we do it well or not, God will still do what he wants to do in people's lives. But we have to stay true to the scriptures. So the Bible says that we should evaluate every message we hear based on the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes this. Oh, I skipped over. Got around, okay. He says this in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Don't suppress the spirit. Don't stifle those who have a word from the master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything. And keep only what's good. Throw out anything tainted with evil. That's from the message. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 to 22. It's saying to us, even though you might enjoy the teaching, you might enjoy the presentation, check it out. Certainly in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 it says there, Paul's writing, he says, verse 10, As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogues. This is one of Paul's uh, missionary journeys, and he came to the town of Berea. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. How many of us go home on Sunday afternoons, and instead of having a snooze, we get out the Bible, we say, what did Pastor John or Pastor Jeff say today? Was it true? Some do. I might say not everybody, but some do. And often I'll get a, que- a question via a text or a phone call. What did you mean by this? Well, is this really what that Bible verse is saying? And that's great. Don't everybody do it at the same time. Uh, uh, but, yeah, it's great that people are checking out what's being said from the pulpit uh, against the, uh, concerning the word of God. The Berean people search the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, there's an awful lot of trust placed in preachers. There's an awful lot of trust placed in pastors. So so we have to be sure that what we're saying, well, we try to be sure that what we're saying is the truth. But it's still every person's responsibility to check it out, to make sure that it's consistent. So here's the challenge, and I'll take a big gulp when I say this. Put me to the test. If what I say isn't what the Bible says, please tell me. You can do two things. You can either disregard it, forget it, or please tell me, because I don't want to live like that. However, it's if what I say is consistent with the word of God, then take it to heart. Hear it as if God's speaking to you and obey it. That's my plea today. So two things will characterize faithful preachers' teaching. One is the, uh, the teaching will be consistent with the word of God And believe it or not, it will probably be conflicting with the world. Do you agree? That if we preach the word of God, it will be conflicting with the world that we live in. In that, hopefully, it will not be selfish, 
It will be selfless. Hopefully it will be uh, based on the, on the model of Christ, not on a selfish model. But if I was politically correct, and I think most of you know that I'm not, if I was politically correct, then political correctness says that I can't preach about Lot from the Old Testament because he's homophobic. I can't preach on Moses because he was a legalist and he gave the ten laws that you need to live by. I can't preach on Samson because he was unwelcome to those illegal immigrants into his country. I can't preach on Hosea because his views on his wife's promiscuity were a bit narrow. I couldn't preach on Paul because he was prejudiced towards women. The fact is that anything I preach on from God's word will be contrary to the views of this world. bit of a story about a pastor who was um, overly conscious about the sermon that he preached the previous Sunday. So in an effort to encourage his congregation the following Sunday, he, he made this announcement at the beginning of his sermon. To make up for last week's 20-point sermon... Today's sermon will be pointless. Doesn't make any sense to me. I think that if any faithful preacher is worried that his preaching may be too pointed or too directed, now don't get me wrong, I've had people come to me many Sundays and say, what you preached, you're preaching at me today. And and I've got to be honest and say that even though I know some of your backgrounds, that's not the way that I, pre- I prepare a sermon I preach the scriptures and God points it at you. But if we have no point in the sermon that we're making, if it's a pointless sermon, what's the value of it? Nothing. No value whatsoever. And so we need to um, preach powerfully and pointedly based on the word of God because we want to see God's word embraced by people and put into action by God's people. One, uh, one author that I read a lot of uh, from history is a guy called uh, uh, Pastor G. Campbell Morgan. He wrote a lot of commentaries, and this was a, a comment about him. It said, he was once told that a preacher must catch the spirit of the age. He replied, God forgive the preacher who does that. The preacher's business is to correct the spirit of the age, not to catch it, but to correct it. And so we need to be careful that that's what we're doing. So what's our response? How do we respond? How do we be get real and be true when it comes to preachers? We need to resolve to be a fearless people. Verse 4 tells us this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. That's the Antichrist, that's those who are against Christ. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And oh, we need to cling to this. There are false teachers in our world. How can we, as God's people, remain faithful and fearless in our walk? And John reminds that there are three things. Just from this one verse, there are three things that we can do. The first thing is that we need to enjoy the relationship that we have. The relationship we have with God. It says this in verse 4. You, dear children, are from God. Do you realise that, that you're a child of God? That because you've placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, God now looks on you as one of his children. We need to rejoice in that. We need to know who we are. We need to rejoice in that. And that will allow us to become a fearless people. 
The results, we need to anticipate the results. And what's the results in that verse? The results are that we have overcome them. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, does it? Sometimes it feels as though the world's intruding. And uh, but, but the truth is that we have overcome them. The, the victory that Jesus gained for us on the cross of Calvary is, is guaranteed. It's rock solid. We need to rejoice in that. And thirdly, we need to remember or possess the resources that we uh, have been given. And the last part of that verse says, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Never forget, as followers of Jesus, that God's spirit lives in us. Never forget that he's the one that can help us to have that check in our heart or check in our mind when we hear some false teaching. He's the one that gives us insight as we open his word together and individually. Never forget the resource that we've got. Never forget that this is the promise that Jesus made in John chapter 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he tell you, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Get real about truth. Be ready to test the spirits. Be like the Bereans who search the scriptures. Whatever you hear, read or see. Trust the resource that you already have. God's spirit in you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be sensitive to your spirit. That when we're listening to someone speak or preach, when we're watching something, Father, I pray that you'll help us to be sensitive to your spirit. That if anything's said that takes us away from you, then put that question mark in our mind and heart, I pray. Father, we want to be true to your word true to your spirit. We thank you for the resources you give. We thank you for the promises you give. We thank you for the relationship that we have with you, dear Father. Lord, I pray we'll cling to those things and nothing will take us away from them. Father, I pray that we'll not be affected by the world, but we'll be able to impact the world for Jesus. We thank you for your word today. Uh, Set it on our hearts and minds, Lord, help us to ponder on it during the week, but more than that, help us to to live it out in our daily lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.